On today's episode of Freight Up, a week of firsts, we'll have Matthew Howard, Coking Coal Broker, joining us to give us the first ever Coking Coal update on Freight Up. And Ed Hutton, Technical Research Analyst, will be joining us for a tech update. All this and more on Freight Up. Hello and welcome to Freight Up. My name is Fernanda and I'll be your host as we navigate the seas of freight and commodities. On this week's episode, we are packing some serious heat. We have Matthew Howarth with the Coke and Coal Update, Ed Hutton with Technical, Archie Smith, our favorite ice man, A. Smith 7, with your fuel oil update, and James Robinson with Iron Ore. So let's get into the episode. Freight Up! All right, so we're in the studio with Matthew Howarth our coking coal broker here at FIS. How are you doing, Matthew? I'm very well. Yourself? Doing fantastic. So for our audience, this is a completely new topic. We've never covered Mm -hmm. coking coal before. So can you tell us a bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So here at FIS, we do uh, Australian PLV futures in coking coal. And for those who are coming in, not knowing much about the market, our onshore players are China. Um, so we do have another broker, Louis Hall, based out in Singapore, as well as a bit of coverage out in Shanghai as well with all our physical players. And essentially, we break down futures into months, quarterly and calendar year contracts. Anywhere between 2KT to 10KT is sort of a size of a trade you'd see in the market. And uh, we deal with a bunch of physical, financial and trading house players. And so you'd see, as I said earlier, China and Singapore is our main source of flow. Singapore Exchange is where we trade on. That's the busiest point of the day, the tea session. So uh, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. in Singapore. And then we get some interest from Europe, uh, UK and the States and now newly South America coming into the London afternoon. So we sort of beginning to get a bit of interest and flow, you know, for 24 hours, essentially. So the market's been pretty interesting this month. What's been going on? Yeah, it's been slightly bearish. There's been a marginal sell-off in the front-end contracts, so our July and August futures contracts. Approximately a 5 to $6 sell-off in the 12 days we've had so far in July. July was marked in the low $230, August late 220s, and we had August last week trade as low as 223 so a good 5 to $6 sell-off. Still demand overall globally has been quite low, and not many nations are suggesting that's going to change in the near term, hence the July and August uh, change. But like I said earlier, um, China is our onshore demand. And China in particular has been showing constant signs of weak demand. It's been branded as weak, whether that's, you know, stimulus deals, whether that's um, manufacturing industry itself or just overall demand, disposable income. Anything that takes a toll on the Chinese economy will take a bearing and have a big influence on the coping coal prices. So that's what we're seeing now. So what's been the reaction to this bearish market? People's reactions have been bit bizarre because like you say some people you know we had these sessions that are slightly bearish they drop a couple of dollars and all of a sudden keen buying interest comes in because they want to be able to deal at these low levels and then they'll just slightly go gradually back up and so what you're actually getting is a situation where you know within a day you can see a two dollar drop then go back up and some singapore and australian traders have said that they predict plv Coke and coal could drop as low as $200 per ton. So an additional $20. Um, but quite a few players, physical and financial, have just taken a step back from the market. They're just trying to gauge, okay, where's this going? And where is the right opportunity for me to then re-step into the market? So we've had a couple of days where liquidity has been thin just because people are just taking a step back, a sort of hands-off approach, if you'd like, and just watching on. 
So it looks like you're going to have to come on the podcast again next week then, right? <laughs> to give us an update. Well, I'm giving you two weeks worth of content. So maybe another two weeks. <laughs> oh, okay. Fantastic. You heard it here first, folks. Matthew will be back in two weeks. <laughs> so Arch, what's going on in the oil market? There's a fair amount going on. I think one of the main factors or one of the main points really to speak about is it would seem as though the kind of endless almost output cuts from OPEC, Saudi, Russia have finally kind of stabilized the market. I mean, on the week, I think we're up about three bucks on the front month Brent future and all roads kind of leading to supply tightness. So, you know, I mean, OPEC have been cutting since December last year and almost every time they've announced cuts or announced export drawbacks or whatever it may be, markets kind of been like, oh yeah, we'll react for half an hour a day and then we'll just go back to what we were doing, which was coming off. All those output cuts have compounded and yeah, there does seem to be some supply tightness in the market and that has supported Brent. So we're up, I mean, we're up today, but we're also up on the week by about two or three bucks, like I said. I mean, but you know, another supporting factor today has been the US CPI data that came out better than expected, basically. So, you know, that could lead the Fed to be less hawkish, less harsh on the rate hikes. Um, which kind of just boosts general confidence in in, in the economy, boosts spending, and, and thus oil comes up with it. Supportive is, is the word, is the key word. Here. So Saudi Arabia was putting some pressure on Russia to cut exports. Now that they have, how long do we think this is actually going to carry an impact on the market? As I mentioned, the exports specifically from Saudi Arabia and Russia, there is some questioning whether Russia will stick to their pledged 500,000 barrels per day export cut for August. They were responding to pressure from Saudi Arabia to cut. So Yeah, initially that's why they've cut anyway. It. That Yeah, 100% you're right. Saudi Arabia were pressuring them and that's why they've done the, the pledge to, to cut in the first place or to cut further, I should say, because obviously previous cuts have been made. Whether they do this or not remains a question because a lot of the large refineries were, well, it, it was their kind of refinery maintenance season over June. But I know a lot of the large Russian refineries, their maintenance is leaked into this month. And so if they've got refineries who are, that are offline, that are idle, that's an incentive to be exporting more crude because otherwise you've got the barrels sitting there and you won't be able to refine them because of the refineries being offline. So, you know, if they've pledged, right, we're going to cut 500,000 barrels per day crude exports, that means there'll be another 500,000 barrels available domestically. And if there's no refineries to refine them, then they're going to be like, right, we'll just export them. But, you know, I, we'll see how that plays out. That's one to just think about, really. I mean, the market definitely has seen some tightness. So <laughs> we'll have to see in a couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely. Let's talk about the cracks. We are down across the board on all of the cracks. I think the high sulfur euro crack is down almost a dollar on the day. Um, but that's pretty closely linked with crude, right? High sulfur fuel oil is a, is a direct byproduct of refining crude. So when that crude price ticks up, the crack normally comes off. And the low sulfur fuel oil cracks also off, about 60 cents on the day each in the, in the Sing and the Euro complex. We're hearing that there's quite a lot of um, supply in Singapore of the very low sulfur fuel oil at the moment. So that you know, would be a, a contributing factor, as, as well as stronger crude. You know, sometimes the low sulfur cracks do come off with stronger crude, but not as often as the high sulfur. So I think, you know, it's, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on the fuel cracks. Obviously, they, they play such an important role in pricing the fuel flat price. General rule, those cracks tick up, your flat price is getting more expensive. Those cracks come off, your, your flat price is getting cheaper. General rule. 
So, yeah, it's definitely worth watching those. But we have seen some weakness specifically today in those cracks, which is an interesting point. And then kind of, you know, rolling, snowballing from that is the time spreads. The Yorgi versus Set, the Set versus Oct in the low sulfur complex. They are, they've really softened today as well. I think we're off over a dollar in the front contracts. So the front contract being the Yorgi versus Set time spread, both in the Sing and Euro, they're both off a dollar there which means the gap between the August price and the October price has tightened. Right. Uh, and we're, we're just kind of seeing that for, uh, following the crack, really, and that, that's why they're, they're really getting smashed today. Oh, wow. Yeah. We've had actually quite a bit of interest on the, on, on the high fives today, not only in the front, but kind of stretching back into Cal 24 <laughs> high fives. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. They're still pretty, pretty tight, pretty low levels. I mean, slightly wider than when I would have mentioned them last week, purely because we've had that high sulfur crack come off. You know, when that high sulfur crack is strong, it really does tighten those high fives where it's really taken a hit today. The high fives have widened slightly, but, you know, not, nothing to really sing home about because they are still just uh, in comparison to, you know, previous levels there. They are pretty tight. So what are we going to be watching out for in the coming week? Fuel cracks. 100%. Always keep an eye on the fuel cracks, what they're doing, if they're trending up, trending down. Like I mentioned before, they're such a key thing when it comes to pricing the flat price. So, you know, anyone who's listening to the podcast who trades with us, was on board with us, you know, you can always ask us for an update on where the cracks are and what the cracks are doing and why they're doing it. And we'll be happy to let you know what's going on. There we go. All <laughs> right. Thank you so much, Archie. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hi, Ed. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Just coming here to have a little chat today about what's been going on the uh, technical side of the market, just looking at the charts and just seeing how much downside these markets have. Are we bottoming? Do we look like that we're seeing wave termination? Uh, if you read my reports, which uh, I know from readership, we've got a fairly good readership. I focus mainly on the psychological footprint of the market alongside the technical, which is known as the Elliott Wave Cycle. It is a repetitive cycle that is Basically, it's, it's nature. It's a nat natural phenomenon in the market. We've been looking at these cycles for years now. They're very, very good at interpreting most of the time what's going on. But ultimately, they are the psychological footprint. So when something changes significantly in the market, for instance, government intervention, we can see these cycles occasionally fail. I mention this because of what's been going on in iron ore recently. We saw this move going on between, I think it was May and June. We had this strong upside move, but we were looking at this and interpreting this as a counter-trend move, again, because we'd seen such a strong move down in at the beginning of the year from 133,000 down to a low of 94. It created a five-wave pattern from our interpretation of the wave analysis, which to me suggests it was known as a corrective wave A. So therefore, the move higher recently had to be a counter-trend move, mm. which we looked to be getting fairly correct. We traded up to, I think, about 114.65, We consolidated between 107.05 and 110.65, I believe, for about two weeks. It proved very resilient, the market. And to actually caught me a little bit by surprise because it seemed very much there is a sentiment holding the market where people are waiting for more stimulus to come out from the Chinese government. And instead of what I believed would be a downside push, we moved sideways for longer than expected. However, earlier in the week, we did break down trading down to 103.60, 103.50, those sort of levels. So we've seen we're off like from the highs, $11, $12. The market in that sense has been following what I would have interpreted the Elliott Way cycle to do. It was behaving as we were expected. 
the technical price action was suggesting that we were going to move lower. So that really wasn't a surprise. But obviously what's happened in the last few days is we've seen the Chinese government come out and they've come in and said that they're going to support the housing or construction industry, the property market, until the end of 2024. That came out from the Chinese Central Bank. Then obviously the headline this morning, we've seen that more liquidity in the market, more new loans coming out. And we've seen a strong move in the last two days now. We've moved up $6. And this has pushed the, the market above what I have as a retracement level. As Fibonacci is normally 38.250, 61.8. On my upside moves, I tend to use on the extremes the Fibonacci of 61.8 plus 4%, which is based on the Glenn Neely's studies on the Elliott Wave cycle. We went through the 66% level this morning to the upside, which has given the market a neutral bias. We're now trading back into this support zone that we've recently seen over the last couple of weeks. Now, that to me, if it's the previous year support zone, should in theory act as resistance. And so far, we've gone straight up into it. We haven't rejected the 107.05 level. And we're sitting in what is now effectively a neutral market. From an Elliott Wave perspective, I still think we should be moving lower. Mm. I am sitting here and now having to question, are we seeing some kind of change in the psychological footprint of the market? Are we going to see the, the cycle fail? Right now, I, I'm looking at this from purely technical and I'm staying, I, and I've had to go into a neutral bias on the market. The upside move has gone so deep. And once you go above 66% retracement in either direction, what you're looking at is probability. And the probability of the market now going on to make a new low has decreased. That doesn't mean to say that it won't. And if you take a back step and look at new loans coming into the market, support to the property sector, although they are bullish fundamentally for the market. I'm not convinced they're bullish fundamentally for the spot market and the mm. near-term front end of the market. This takes time to filter through. We've seen the main construction season's already finished in China. So I'm a little bit surprised that the market's reacted to this. I'm a little bit worried it's just an, an overzealous sentiment push and that we will move to the downside. We will move to the downside again. But from a technical perspective, until I start seeing better technical signals now, I am having to sit in a neutral bias. Longer term, the cycle says we go lower, but right now we have to take a step back and just say, right, let's just see if we start breaking key fractal resistance levels. Are we going to see the market making basically important higher highs on the daily technical and stuff like that? Moving on to oil, we've got another interesting market here because we've been calling oil bearish now for six, eight months. So we've been at many times the loan bearer in the market against the Goldman predictions and the Citibank predictions that we we're going to trade at $100. We were calling it down to 65. We traded down to a low of 70.12. So we hadn't hit my downside target. When I looked at the wave cycle, which is on a much grander scale than one we've been looking at in, I did think the 70.12 level needed to be broken because that would give me the minimum requirement of Elliott wave completion and cycle completion to the downside i.e. the wave five of the wave C. Three or four weeks ago, we started changing that rhetoric a little bit and we started having a more cautious bear approach to the market because we had a support zone formed between 71.28 and 71.58. That sounds tight. That level held four times on the intraday over quite a drawn out period of time. And by the time it, it was testing it, it tested it twice, we started putting a note of caution. The third time we started becoming very cautious. The cycle is still bearish we were advocating that level to be broken before going into the market because it was clearly seeing not just a level that was holding from the chart position, but every time it did, we were seeing build up on volume 
and the build-up on aggregate open interest, which is just CTAs, new market longs were entering into the market. So we've been cautious for a little while on this. The near-term price action is very strong at the moment. And if you read the intraday morning reports, we've had lots of divergences warning we're top and it keeps on extending and extending. But what you will notice in our rhetoric is at the moment, we still see downside moves in the very near term as being counter trend. We think the support levels will hold. As it happens, we're not really getting any of these pullbacks. So every morning it's like, yeah, there is a divergence here. But, you know, ultimately, if it's going down, we think it's support is going to go up. We're not seeing the pullbacks. We keep going. And we're now approaching what I would suggest is quite an important area. 80.24 is a level that we'd seen a very strong break to the downside. And for the last two and a half, three months, we've been in a massive consolidation zone between 70.12 officially and 80.24. That move happened over a couple of days and we haven't moved outside of that range. If we start closing above 80.24, there is a good chance that we're going to see a spring in price again. Because really? we've, we've seen, because we've been in this consolidation phase, it could push higher. It should push higher. Does that change the long-term footprint of the market? Funny enough, it doesn't in the near term. The daily cycle still remains bullish below 81.97. However, you one would imagine if you've got a $10 consolidation zone, the resistance level is going to come under pressure if you break because you know there's obviously been accumulation going on now for some time in the market. I think it was the Wyckoff accumulation you'd look at if you were going to go, wanted to get very technical over it from a guy dating back to the 1940s identified this chart pattern. In theory, quite often, you see after a long period of consolidation, a jump equal to the consolidation size, which in this case is around about $10. That would seriously damage the long-term Elliott wave cycle. We would be start, we start say, becoming neutral above 81, what was the level? 81.97, but we actually remain bearish above 87.49. If we trade above 87.49, this long-term cycle that has been in play now that has caught out the banks because they're all looking for you know more drawdown in oil, China coming out of this uh, long-term COVID lockdown, um, they're expecting it to be quite an immediate effect and jump on oil. We haven't seen that. It's been delayed, but clearly there is an increase in consumption happening, which is reflected in price. So if you start going above a uh, 87.49, then the whole bear cycle is terminated you're going bullish, which will have longer up-term uh, implications in the market. I don't know if it's going to be shooting anywhere fast because we, as we've seen in the last two and a half months, it's taking time for these market moves to happen. But you would certainly be cautious on downside moves after that and would expect maybe CTA support in the market. Shipping's very, very interesting, the freight market. We got the move higher at the, end of, at the beginning of the year. That terminated before we were expecting. There were some very strange patterns going on. We thought we were going to see some... We thought the capes were already going to go about $3,000 higher than they were. They went up to like 23000 on the rolling front contracts. I had a tar- upside target of 26000 So ultimately, it had achieved its wave cycle high. So at that point, it can always terminate and you have to be careful. What's been very interesting is these downside moves recently. If you've Again, if you read the reports, you've seen that we've had a bearish rhetoric now for quite some time. We've been, when the market's gone higher, we've been calling it against the trend and to continue lower. So we've done really well, but we've now got to this stage where we're in a correctly phase. Now, correctly phase on a large scale, three wave patterns, A down, B up, C down. Wave A can either be three or five legs, three or five waves. Wave B is always three and wave C is always five. Now we're on wave C. Technically, if we break down onto the intraday charts, we look to be in the Cape size 
on what would be a counter trend wave four with a potential final wave to the downside. It, we have, however, traded below the base of the original wave, wave A that was made a couple of months ago. So again, minimum, minimum achievement cycle completion is there. So I get worried with freight because sometimes these last waves do go, go missing. At the moment, we still think it's looking like a counter trend move. 15.6 is a big level in August. We traded up to 15.5 this morning. We traded back down since then, reject it by five, $600 very, very quickly. But if you start going above those levels of 15.6, you are going to be sitting there thinking, right, this market has had a strong push higher. And again, that will be above the 66% retracement level to the upside. And if we just then go down to probability. The probability of the futures then trading to a new low will decrease, which would put an element of caution on our wave cycle because it would suggest the psychological footprint is, of the market is changing. We are still bearish at the moment, but there are reasons for concern that this could be turning into a more bullish uh, sentiment. Right now, it's not there. We're monitoring it. We think we're still going. We st think we can still break down, but a bullish breakaway gap this morning, rejecting resistance. It kind of we're now stuck between that fourteen four seven five fifteen five area, fifteen six area, should I say? Um, so it will be interesting to see how that pans out in the next couple of days. We've tried to close the gap first thing in the market, first thing this morning in the market. If we close that bullish breakaway gap today, then anyone that's gone long this morning is probably going to want to get out mm. and that will put further pressure on the market. However, if we hold, that's a supportive zone. You could see this 15.6 level, com level coming under pressure. It, then it gets very interesting because A, it's warning that the wave cycle could fail and B, then I've got to really put my thinking cap on having been following the cycle so religiously for the last few months and it's been beautiful and I, I've really enjoyed watching it following and rejecting key trends and key resistance levels the way the relative strength index has been reacting with its moving average it's all been very classic technical for the last few months so when this sort of thing happens a my job gets harder but it also gets more fun because there's so much more to think about in these transitional periods because you have to move away from the wave cycle look more at the technical look at the price action you know and we do look at the price action we look at the candlesticks and you know how they close especially on the daily charts you know if you if you see, you know, an upside move happening and all of a sudden uh, the daily candle closes below the high, below the, the date, the candle closes below the low of the previous day's high candle, and which is like making a swing high, you're creating a swing point in the market. And that's warning that things are going to change, even if it's just for two, three days. And they're lovely little signals to see in the market. And when you get these at the end of trends, you get these three downside pushes and they're exhaustion patterns. And so when we start seeing those sort of things, we become very alert to them. So we do have, and we enjoy watching these dominant bull candles and dominant bear candles and these reversal patterns because, you know, ultimately price action is what leads the market. There is obviously a lot of focus on what goes on in the physical, obviously, but I think you've got to be realistic when you look at freight. When a market last year was trading with $15,000, $16,000 carry to, to the index on the rolling front months, you, it does bring the question is, well, how technical or how fundamental is the market? She's the better question because if it was very fundamental, you wouldn't have those sort of carry levels. And this is obviously all linked to the seasonality of the markets. People have these expectations as you hear, you know, key iron or import time and, you know, grain times, etc. But the point of the matter is they move away and you get this huge carry gap. And then the market is purely technical. It's got nothing to do with the fundamental because you are trading on a sentiment basis. And ultimately, price action leads the way there. Uh, very, very simply, if a market's making higher highs and higher lows, it's bullish until it's made a lower low. And then it's, war it's warning. And that sounds like the most basic part of technical analysis that is overlooked. 
is people forget to look at the swing levels. They're looking so much on their projection of where they think it's going to go, or they're focusing on the moving averages and the RSI. Look at the price, because the price will be the lead indicator. Everything else is derived from price. And if that starts changing, it's something to be aware of. And that's important when we move on to the Panamax, because we had a move higher yesterday that has got us alert to the fact that we've been in a bearish Elliott wave cycle with an expectancy to trade below 8,250 to show us that we've achieved the minimum requirement that we would expect for wave termination. Now, we have had a five-wave pattern lower, but it didn't trade below 8,250. got to a low of 8,575, I believe, off the top of my head. Now, technically, there's nothing to say that this wave C does, will, will, will trade lower. I mean, it's an expectancy of what we hit we, of the theory. Now, this is, would be known if we don't trade lower. It's what's called a truncated wave C, where it fails to trade below the wave A. But the reason why it's really significant is because the move higher that we've seen yesterday above 10,325 was above the swing level of the recent intraday wave five caused by the roll between July and August. The market's made a higher high on the intraday. Does this mean that the Elliott wave cycle's failed? Not yet. But it's a warning that you should be alert and be go, um, go from bearish to a cautious bear. Absolutely certainly on that because price action, as I said, is lead indicator. Now, we've got a, t- a key resistance in the Panamax, I think, is 9,774. Again, that's a 66% level. So you've broken a fractal resistance at 10,967. You start breaking that level, and then all of a sudden the pullback is deep. So there's another warning of probability of the market's not going to go and trade below 8,250. So we're watching that very, very closely. If we break this fractal, reject that resistance level of 66%, then you could see the market extending to the downside again. So we're marking that now as a very important part of, of this analytical report, just because we've made a higher high on intraday. If we break that resistance, probability decreasing, and we would start then maybe looking for bullish signals in the market to see if we're going to move higher. Now, we could still ultimately, if the Panamax is below 12,200, which is the higher of the larger wave, five of the wave C, we're still technically bearish. But these warning signs tell you something's going to change and the price action is the lead indicator. So if it starts doing that, we'll start looking for bullish indicators. And unless we see a strong bearish indicator, it will become very, very cautious. Right now, it's still technically bearish. There's a warning sign here. What we do know is even if you move lower here and start trading below 8,250, I wouldn't be putting a massive bear hat on because you're on a fifth and final wave. So either way, you are very close to an exhaustion point if you haven't seen it already. Um, and I believe that's the case in the Capes, the Panamax and the Supermax. They're all nearing these exhaustion levels, which could be interesting further down the curve. You know, if we do have a push to the downside, I wouldn't necessarily say that they're technical sales in the market at this level. If we haven't exhausted, we're on our way to it. And that puts me very cautious. The Supermax is ahead of the game. We have made new low in the Supermax. We have a five-way pattern lower. Now, as I say, with like the others, that doesn't mean to say that the wave five is completed. It's moving higher, but it has, and it is the only one of the sector to have met its minimum requirement. And so it's met its minimum requirement and it's broken a fractal resistance. It is an absolute definite not technical sell. Even if it's going, even if it goes lower, it's not a technical sell from here. It's mm. too dangerous. There is the, the risk reward of putting on bear trades, bear spreads here is just not worth it, in my opinion. I just think they'll, I think they're too dangerous. I wouldn't be surprised if we get these tests lower, whether the fronts will achieve new lows will be interesting, but the back still suggests that they're going to have this wave to the downside. But as I say, when you start getting to this 
finer detail on intraday trading on you know wave fives of wave Cs, it just becomes a little bit high risk and it's nearest to be cautious. We are nearing exhaustion, I think, in the downside of the freight trend. We might not be there yet, but we're not far off it, which is an interesting time to start hitting that because we're normally in the most bullish quarter of the year and we've been effectively coming under pressure for all of it. So it'll be quite interesting to see if we do start to turn in Q3 because seasonality has not really been in the market for a couple of years now. And that's because the seasonality was distorted in 2021 when we went absolutely nuts to the upside and it just pulled all the figures out and all the shape out of the market. When that happens every now and then. So that's pretty much how I'm seeing the market at the moment. So there is, normally I'd like to tell you, I think it's going up, it's going down, but questions in the iron ore, big questions in the iron ore. I think the technical is still bearish. It has a neutral bias. I look at the fundamental and I think this is a sentiment push higher. And I'm wondering, you know, how quickly can what the Chinese government do filter through to actually keep this moving, moving to the upside. So I, I would, you know, I'm cautious from this, on the sell side just because of the strength of the upside. But I believe, I, I think if the cycle is allowed to play out, we move quite a bit lower. And realistically, if the cycle plays out, we should probably trade below 94. But as I say, there's a lot of uh, stuff going on. And there's a lot of bullish news and rhetoric on the wire that is keeping this sentiment push, which is surprising me a little bit. I say, they seem a little bit overzealous, especially when, you know, if you take a step back and look at this upside move and you've just bought it, I'd be looking at the volume and open interest on the Dalian exchange at the moment. My attention would be on the volume because you're rising up on dropping volume. Now, that doesn't mean to me that buy pressure is in the market. It's telling me that sell pressure has just taken a step back. So be very careful because you could run into it soon. I think there's a good chance we could see this, this at least break out of this range. Then it's really important. And this is where traders, before they start trading these breakouts, wait for the market to pull back and confirm it's going to hold out above the 80 to 80-24 level. Because if you pull back and start trading back in below that level and into the range, then it's just a fake out. It's not a breakout. And you're just going to have to be patient and just start looking for more signs because what you might find is that the clever money that was in at 71.58, 71.28 that had those opening the stress builds and volume builds will, could could start trying to catch people out as the stops come in and sell into the stops and just start closing out. Freight to freight, we all know it's absolutely bonkers with this volatility. It's been a really interesting thing to watch. It's been completely against seasonality, a beautiful bear trend, but now there's extreme reason to be cautious in these markets. Even if they are still technically bearish, the argument for a technical sell on anything other than an intraday trade starts becoming, you know, very questionable in my opinion. All right, Ed. So just to review, what should our audience be looking out for? If you don't have access to these these charts, which a lot of people don't, certainly the candlestick charts, you should be going to the FIS live app because we have these charts. They're not intraday, but they're still daily charts and they can still tell you an awful lot. And we've got updates coming, so we're going to have be able to have variable moving averages on there soon as well, which, trust me, if you understand moving averages, they are a lead indicator. They're always written about as a lagging indicator. They're not. You've only got to read books by Daryl Guppy and see how these, these averages can be used. Bill Williams and how they use them in his alligator spread. They can give you warning signs of the strength of your trend purely on the basis of just how much they converge and diverge. Yeah, there's some good stuff on our app or certainly some good stuff coming up. We've got the we've got the candlesticks now, we've got moving averages now, but you can have variable moving averages on there, moving averages on there soon. It is 
if you don't have decent to good chart data, that's the best you're going to get on a daily basis because we're feeding all our data through there and it will be the daily charts will be exactly the same. And if you follow the stuff, you'll see every morning that Emma, our senior data analyst, uploads the volume on there. Now, obviously, volume is not broken down by, it's an aggregate volume, which is something I would normally advocate looking at. But as you know, if Cal 24, 25 spread trades in two falls, then your volume is going to be really high on the day and it's going to distort it and make you see something that's not necessarily there. But you can still see these average high volumes and average low volumes, and they all help in understanding. It would be very good if the Baltic Exchange would release this data with aggregate open interest on a daily basis. And if you're out there and you're listening, please reach out to Bloomberg and the Baltic Exchange to try and push this, because it, all it will do is improve your insight into what's going into the market, because they are two of the biggest leading indicators out there. And we'll make sure to link the FIS Live app in the description. Ed, Thank you so much. It was incredible to have you and we hope you'll join us again soon. Absolutely welcome. Hey James, so it's been a bit of a complicated week for you, right? Yeah, it's been uh, very bouncy indeed. On Monday, we started the week on a bit of a downer. Chinese inflation printed at flat, so 0% for the CPI, which raises the prospect of deflation becoming an ever-growing concern. So just to run you through the process a little bit. The risk with deflation is that as prices get consistently lower, individuals and businesses off-put spending, which drags on demand a little bit further. So we could potentially, if deflation materializes, we could potentially see you know, a further pull back on demand. So that sent the price crashing effectively. So Monday saw a pretty dramatic sell-off. We closed out the day $2.60, lower than Friday's close at 105.10, but we actually hit lows of 103.35. So a real, real significant movement on price. That trajectory didn't hold at all, actually, as the next day we came into some very good news on the the stimulus front. (laughs) Uh, You're laughing. Yeah. Yeah, so it was announced that we were finally going to see some genuine support for the property market. So the support comes in the form of loan extensions. So loans due to expire by the end of 2024 will be given a one year further repayment period. That's an extension of an existing policy. So this policy is already in place, but it only covers loans due to expire over the course of 2023. It's quite significant. Is it what the market was hoping for? So it's a start. I mean, the general sentiment in the market is that this is positive. More needs to be done, but it is, you know, a declaration of intention. And what we're seeing at state media indicates that there is going to be further measures coming out in the weeks ahead. I know we've said that before, but we do appear to have a little bit more traction. On There's that. a bit of a breadcrumb developing. Yeah. And in terms of sort of relevance, loans due by the end of 2024 account for 35% of outstanding developer debt. So it is actually quite a genuine, concrete proposal and should give quite a lot of support to some of the more distressed developers. That said, because this measure has been extended to the back end of 2024, property concerns are probably going to dominate the tail end of 2023 and probably persist well into 2024. So property developers in China are out celebrating in words right now, but you come bearing more good news, right? So on Tuesday, we saw a further round of good news as China printed a very, very strong 
expansion of credit. So financial institutions smashed estimates issuing 3 trillion yen worth of new loans. So what were the original estimates? Median analyst estimates were 2.3 trillion yen. This is 700 billion better than expected. So a real, real expansion there. Yeah. So, yeah. That's a lot of Birkin bags. (laughs) Yeah. So in terms of the effect that this had on the market, as I mentioned earlier, we recorded lows on the week of 103.35. We are now back trading at 110. So over the past sort of two, three weeks, 110 has sort of been quite a sticky point for the market. You know, amid all this mixed news, 110 has sort of proven to be a bit of an anchor and we've come off very significantly and we've shot straight back up all within the space of about three or four days. That explains why you were just absolutely everywhere yesterday. It's been flat out. It really has this week. Yeah, the desk has been really, really busy, especially yesterday afternoon. Very, very big session indeed. You're popular this week, Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it's been a good week to be be an FIS. To be James Robinson. So any news on the physical side of things? Rate cut that we mentioned last week on production. Effectively, we're seeing EAF take up more strain of mm. that. So EAF volumes, that's the electric arc furnace volumes, are up 19% on the week. Mm. So as some of those dirtier mills are cutting productions on, as a result of this policy, we are seeing some of the slack being taken up by some of the cleaner scrap-reliant furnaces. All right, James, anything else to add? No, I think that that just about covers it. All right, then we'll have to see you here next week. Thanks so much. Nice one. Thanks very much. So that's it for us this week. Just one minor bit of housekeeping. We are living through the era of the end of Stitcher. As you may know, Stitcher is being sunset next month. So if you're following us on the Stitcher app, please make sure to follow us elsewhere. We love Apple Podcasts or Spotify, but the choice is yours. For more information, show notes, or to leave us a comment, make sure to visit FreightUpPodcast.com. That's FreightUpPodcast.com. See you next time. Freight Up!